guys, it's Savvy Sabs, and I have a special guest with me today. His name is Nick. He's an activist. He's a mixed martial artist, and he's the co-founder of 10 Demands for Justice and the Fred Hampton Leftist Podcast. Hey, Nick. Hey, Sabrina. Nice to finally meet you. Glad to be on the show. Thanks for coming. So before we dive into like political issues, can you tell everyone a little bit about your background and how you got involved in activism? Um, most of you guys know me as Socialist MMA on Twitter. I been disillusioned and disenfranchised by the two-party system for a very long time. I got reintroduced and re well, I should say reinterested in politics because of the Bernie Sanders campaign. And in 2016, I definitely didn't do enough. Uh, I guess I was caught up in my own little bubble or circle, or whatever. My circle being, who likes Hillary Clinton? <laughs> like no one, like, I don't, I'm, I remember, I'm delusional thinking about it now, uh, but I, I remember in 2016, I'm thinking there's no way Bernie's gonna lose to Hillary. Like what? <laughs> like once I learned who Bernie Sanders was, uh, I guess I was still disillusioned about politics as a whole. I'm like, okay, once both these candidates get their message out, it's going to be easy. Then Bernie lost. And I remember I was shocked and I also was very upset at myself because I didn't I didn't do anything in that, that election. I was kind of just the online cheerleader. And then when 2020 hit, I understood how important this, uh, we can't, I know Bernie's age, I'm like, there's no way we can lose this time. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of how I got, uh, most people know me now because uh, I, I quit my job and I was canvassing for Bernie Sanders. I, I, I was doing a little bit of activism uh, for Kansas City Sunrise and Casey Tennis um, around that time. But that's where most people know me. And that's where I, I was kind of starting my journey as a citizen journalist while I talked to people while I was canvassing, share their stories on Twitter. And that's how I kind of got known. And then eventually I, I will go ahead, go ahead and found uh, the Fred Hampton leftist uh, network. Awesome. So um, Awkward was was on the show and he was talking about uh, 10 Demands for Justice and he talked about uh, defunding the police and the road to like abolition. Can you explain to people like why is this needed? Because a lot of times when you say defund the police, people get freaked out and they're like, what are you talking about? They want to take all the cops away and they want to have like anarchy, which is not true. Can you explain to everybody like why, why do you feel that this is needed, that we need to defund the police and eventually get to the point where we don't really need police? Because I acknowledge and I promote common sense politics. So I always... My thing that I do, I always want to reframe leftist issues because even there, even a lot of leftists I respect to, I, I feel like they don't frame a lot of these issues correctly. Defund the police is the moderate position. So there are a lot of people that acknowledge how our justice system works, how we've been waging a drug war. And it's very, very interesting to me that you have an entire liberal class that we actually dragged them over the last few decades to the left where they acknowledged that the drug war was a failure. So they know the drug war is a failure and they want to legalize marijuana in the drug war, at least the voters, not the people in power. That's why I'm referring to. So they know the drug war is a scam. They know it's racist. Now, this is why I tell people, you can't be against ending the drug war while opposing defund the police. That's an intellectually inconsistent belief. 
and and if you look at polling, well, to be fair, to be fair, if you look at polling, despite media uh, uh, propaganda, majority of Democrats support defund the police, despite the fact that they pretend that it's a toxic idea. If you dot, if you uh, forget the headlines, dive into every single story when they when they say it's not popular, and look at the demographics. It's always Democrats mostly support it, young people mostly support it, black people support it. The numbers are fudged because Republicans don't support it, and that's the opposition we expect. So to be fair, before I make the point, most Democrats do support uh, defund the police, about 56 to 60%. But if you look at the number of overall Americans who believe that we should legalize marijuana and end the drug war, it's not consistent with the people that believe in defund the police. So we used to spend the same amount of money in terms of social welfare programs before the Reagan era that we do on criminal justice. And then at the start of the 80s, that those numbers in terms of the casserial state, the amount of funds we send to the casserial state skyrocketed because of the war on drugs and because of the new Jim Crow that our current president supported. So if you acknowledge that that's a bad thing, but you don't support defund the police, I would love to challenge you and pick your brain because you, you can't be consistent on that issue. No, I, I agree. We uh, decriminalized cannabis in Massachusetts couple years ago and then about two years ago we made it legal here and we have like cannabis shops here and everything which is great and at, but at the same time I'm also wondering like okay are you gonna let all those people in prison go that you arrested right. for cannabis right so I it's 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 a twofold uh for me I don't feel like they've done enough um not to mention one, one of the things that continues to come up in Massachusetts is that most of the cannabis shops are owned by white people. So they are making a profit off of something that most African-Americans, a lot of African-Americans went to prison for here. Yep, that's a good point. And that's why I don't give people props just when they support legalizing marijuana. It's it's like giving someone props because they support gay marriage, but they hate the trans community. (laughs) I mean, you would be considered progressives in, in the 90s and 80s by being supportive of gay rights, despite your transposition but now that's i think that's unacceptable and we was able to get a lot of uh white people in the white community and capitalists more than anything to support legalizing marijuana because that's a booming industry and that's why i'm glad that you just brought that up the fact that the majority of, of marijuana businesses and i think you said colorado if I, 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 sorry my memory but i think you said colorado um and that's why they are for that now if you want to uh, discuss these issues and why it was important to legalize marijuana. I mean, the economic aspect just make it, makes it a no-brainer, the human rights uh, aspects of it. But the fact that you have a lot of Americans who acknowledge that we need to legalize these drugs, but they're not doing anything for the people who've been already penalized and had their lives ruined by these drugs, show that they're doing it just for their capitalist uh, benefit instead of acknowledging the racial hierarchies and the racist institutions that we've been threatened with. Yeah, it's it's Massachusetts, but Colorado, oh, Massachusetts, same thing. <laughs> same. Yeah, okay. Um, so I know you co-founded the Fred Hampton Leftist podcast. Can you tell everybody like why did you decide to start that? So, I I rose in uh, popularity on Twitter this, this last year, and and it was a shock to a lot of the liberal consciousness. What I mean by that is because a lot of these people are not exposed to the ideas of young African-Americans. So if you look at our generation, our generation is, and this is not only just for African-American communities. I mean, they were framing Cubans as 
uh, extremely conservative, but the Cubans overwhelmingly voted for Bernie Sanders. Bernie Sanders still lost the older Cuban vote, but he dominated the youth Cuban vote. But I speak for my community, and I don't want to put any words in anyone else's mouth. So, but I just want to let you guys know, if you look at the numbers and trends, it's kind of generational. Um, but when you look at the Black community, when you look at younger Black people, we we supported Bernie Sanders in mass. Younger Black people are less likely to buy the lies about the two-party system and the Democratic Party and the Republican Party. And that's consistent with the trends we've seen throughout the country. I mean, we have the most independence right now in America, according to Gallup, than ever before. So I've made a Fred Hampton leftist because if you look at the mainstream narrative that come out of the Democratic Party from the liberal media establishment, they paint the picture as if the Black Americans are 100% happy and satisfied with the Democratic Party. The, the reason why they are able to do this is because one thing that our our community and a lot of other communities historically have been plagued with was there's always oligarch within our class that are willing to sell out our community for riches. I mean, this is a story that is as old as the slave trade when it comes to our community. So you have black liberals and the black um, the black congressional caucus and their media allies who they only uh, they are the only ones that are allowed to be platformed, and they always have a pro-capitalist, pro-democratic party point of view. And if you are anti-establishment, the only counter argument to this is Dr. Cornell West, but Dr. Cornell West was the first Harvard, the first black Harvard professor. And honestly, he somehow slipped through the cracks. <laughs> like he, he was the one person they allowed. But other than him, if you are not towing the establishment line, they will not platform you. They will not give you credibility. They will smear and slander you the same way they did, they did to MLK and Malcolm X back in the day. But now they learned a lesson from back then because now they know the best way to prevent uh, actual class consciousness within the Black community is to prevent the rise of MLK and Malcolm X in the first place. So they should shut these people out now. <laughs> like the people who have those similar ideas, they're not allowed on corporate media. And there are a lot of people that don't even know that MLK and Malcolm X was a socialist. So these are the kind of uh, massive psyops that we see out of the mainstream media and the propaganda that's fed in our community that drags otherwise anti-establishment minded black people to the right. Black people, because we have revolutionary roots. We've always been rooted in anti-establishment, fighting against the state, fighting against racist institutions. That's the history of the black community. But ever since the civil rights era, uh, the all ruling class, which is really smart, <laughs> they're really smart. They realize, all right, we got we got nip this in the bud with the black people thinking they can uh, wage a poor people's campaign like MLK tried to do. Frederick Hampton tried to have a, a rainbow coalition where we have a working class of different races and different sexes and creed come together to fight against the capitalist class. They said we can't have that. So the CIA had a lot of these people killed, and then the people they didn't have killed uh, was started by state, and the people that left left from that they just don't platform. So. To answer your question in in a nutshell, I created Fred, Fred Hampton leftists because I want to uh, amplify the voices of Black leftists, but not only just Black leftists, but people in color and anti-establishment people in general. That's why we chose Fred Hampton leftists because we want to form a rainbow coalition uh, discussing issues that are not allowed in the mainstream and let people know that Black people are leftists too. And this is something that deeply deeply uh, inconvenient for the liberal class. And I think what you're doing is important as well, because once again, we just let people know um, they're the capitalist ideology that the white liberal class always trying to push. They always say, oh, Latinos are actually pretty conservative. Black people are actually conservative. That's not true. So they do, they use, our, they use us. And I think that's pretty disgusting, right? They use us 
in order to shift the country to the right. Yep. So I think that's why we I want we want to get our message out and let people know that they won't be able to use the red card and pretend that they're the ally of black ally of black people because the, the Democrat Party they are not. Agreed. Um, I know when when Bernie was still in the race, a lot of people, a lot of black people tried to tell me that the only people that vote for Bernie are white. And I was yeah. like, no. <laughs> I'm like, who is telling you this stuff? That's not true. But if you watch mainstream media, that was the narrative that they tried to paint about Bernie Sanders. Um, definitely got excited about Fred Hampton uh, leftist podcast because I've been thinking for a long time, I felt like we didn't have enough African-Americans in the leftist space that were on yeah. a platform. Um, and also to talk about like issues that affect African-American communities. And a lot of times what I've seen is on some of these other platforms, I don't really see them talk about that that much. And I was just wanted to get your opinion about that. Why do you think that is? And a lot of these channels are people I actually respect too, but you can't expect um, white commentators to be able to properly explain the black experience. And that's why I think what uh, having a platform with black leftists, what we're doing here, what you're doing here, and a lot of other uh, black leftist media, I think it's important for us to stand in solidarity with each other and prop each other up. Uh, because unfortunately, these white content creators are the most popular. Um, and this is where kind of my criticism come from. Like I said, I'm, I actually uh, like a lot of these people, but you can kind of see the disconnect that you're, you're talking about when it comes when they discuss about black issues. I remember when defund the police started, I was getting very frustrated with a lot of white progressive in media because I was watching a show. They're like, yeah, we kind of, they was doing the thing that hurts our movement. I'll explain here very shortly. Where they say, oh, I mean, defund the police is a good idea. I mean, I kind of support it, but what about the popularity? What about, what about the Democrat? What you, when people do that, that hurts our movement. You guys understand how movements work and the fight against oppression always work. So when you have fight against oppression, like the civil rights movement, the bus sit-ins, these things was not popular <laughs> when they first started off. I mean, I, I'm trying to think of the number on top of my head, but when you had the bus sit-ins, you had like 75% of Americans that disapproved of that. And so there are a lot of different instances of civil rights. I mean, MLK was, had a massive disapproval rating uh, shortly after the civil rights uh, movement. So you, the idea that you, we supposed to be fighting for things that are popular instead of fighting for things for our belief and making an argument, that is false. So what? how do change operate? So when you look at uh, the fight for gay rights, when you look for the fight for women's suffrage, these things never start off popular. What happens is you are in the right. So what you do, you explain your position. And then over time, people are like, oh, they're right. <laughs> they're right. You win public perception. So when you have people that say, oh, I think I, don't, I think you guys need, you're actually hurting. What you, what you should be doing is don't apologize for uh, getting uh, for hurting Democrats or whatever. Make your argument and then leave it at the table. But if you're not part of the black community, if you're not part of these communities of people of color that are really affected by these uh, very important issues, uh, and the, you got to worry about your clicks and worry about what people are saying about you as well, you're more you're less likely to put yourself on the line when it comes to the issue of defund the police. Now, what I'll just lay out to you, I lay out to you how we change public perception with movements. And I am willing to admit defund the police were massively unpopular at the beginning of the summer. Only Democrats and Black people at the beginning massively supported. But if you look at the shift, they had exit polling. They were doing polling on there. There was, there was another clickbait that actually 
make defund look good. We were back at what I was saying. It was a clickbait article because it was using Republican support. Trying to make it like it was unpopular. Um, but if you look at the numbers, there was an exit poll after the election that showed 55 percent independent support defund the police now. And then you have the, the overall support for Americans on defund the police jumped about 30 points, like compared to last summer to right now, like plus 30. Like I dare anyone to find a policy or any massive social movement that had a plus 30, plus 25 jump in approval in less than one year. That if you actually think about it that way, that is insanity. Now to get back to the original topic, this is why I was upset with white content creators. Because imagine that number if you had a lot of the white white content creators who I'm trying to avoid calling them out because some people I actually like, but I saw them cover defund plot. Like, oh come on, man. When they were like, oh, I think maybe they should not try a different route. Oh, maybe this is not the winning. If they actually explained our position like I've been doing ever since the start of the summer, but that's why I co-founded Ten Demands and, and I've been working on police abolition. Who knows what that number would be? But to, in a nutshell, that issue and many others is why people need to look at Black leftist voices who are willing to stand uh, up for disenfranchised communities and and uh, spread awareness on why our policy goals are very important. No, agreed. I felt the same way about reparations too. I think yes, that one really struck one. a chord with me because yeah. I was just like, how can you say that you're progressive but you're against reparations? Yeah, doesn't make any sense. Doesn't make any sense at all, especially um, once you consider like the massive damage that was done to the black community, and then the fact that we already pay reparations to former uh, slave owners because they lost their plantations. There's and when we see the amount of money that is spent propping up corporations and, and giant bailouts, the idea that we don't have the money to do. I, I love how and this is once again this show uh, how I would tell a lot of the leftist uh, media, white leftist media. Uh, content creators was because I, I found Marianne Williamson to be very amazing on this topic where she bring up um, that reparations are an act of healing. We can't move on from massive society societal injustice without having that healing mechanism in place. Well, I always tell people um, reparations must be advocated for and must be advocated fiercely. Um, and what we at the Fred Hampton left is blue. We, we strongly support reparations, but I think it's important to be anti-capitalist as well. And the reason I say that is because you have capitalists that support reparations. Tom Sarah being the best example I can think of right now. Marianne Williamson is openly a capitalist. So why do capitalists support reparations? Capitalists support reparations because Black Americans, we tend to pay the most when, when it comes to medical bills. <laughs> I mean, we know when reparations hit out right now, there are a lot of people who are landlords who could be raising rents <laughs> in a lot of these neighborhoods. So once I don't I want to be 100 percent clear, guys. It's not me speaking out against reparations. I'm very strongly supportive of reparations. I just want people to understand that with the current system as is right now, if we get reparations, that money going right into health insurance companies and the medical debt that we are suffering right now. So we need to cancel all medical debt. We need to provide Medicare for all. Like, I, and once I, I, I'm repeating this again, because I want to be clear. This is not me speaking out against reparations, but I want people to acknowledge that this is a giant package. And I say it this way because there's, once again, you have black capitalists who support reparations. And if you're a black capitalist, you support reparations, you're missing a giant piece of the puzzle. Because once again, the capitalists want us to get this reparation because they're just going to take our money. <laughs> they're going to charge us more on, uh, on credit card interest rate like they've been proven to do in the past. I got, I, I, I 
got a check in the mail because you had a lot of auto institutions that were charging Black Americans higher interest rates. And it was sued. And then we would actually, they were found guilty of charging. I mean, you have, uh, just for example, a Black male 18 starting out, white male 18 starting out, no credit history. The Black male will pay way more in credit uh, in terms of interest rate than the white male. They established this legally through court. And there's, that's just how the mortgage industry work as well. This is why Black Americans mostly lost their homes throughout the financial crisis in the 2008. Uh, once again, because Barack Obama installed Eric Holder was who was a spy to Wall Street and uh, who did their bidding during the crisis. But the, the reason why I bring all this up is because capitalism and giant industry, there's a story about military polluting the Black communities as well. We're the, we're the community that they always exploit. That's why they're more than happy to pay a reparation, just so they can have more capital to take away. So I'm strongly supportive of reparations, but I think my, the message I'm delivering here, just so I can be 100% clear, if you support reparations, you, you got to be anti-capitalist. And that's what kind of the message that we want to get out at Frederick Hampton Leftist. And I think uh, being anti-capitalist, is I, th I really think that's the uh, direction that I think the Black community should go in. Agreed. Um, so I have a question for you in reference to Obama. So um, I remember you had a tweet where it was an old Obama t-shirt that you found. And it's funny too, because I had like an Obama like bumper sticker that for whatever reason never made it to my car. I don't know why, yeah. um, but I don't have it anymore. But um, I felt like like back then when Obama was running, like a lot of us had a lot of hope for Obama. And then he got into office and we saw what he really was, right? But even today, considering all the things that Obama kind of like messed up with, not saying he was like the worst president ever, but the things that he messed up with, and I felt like the way he kind of failed the black community, so many people today still defend Obama. Why do you think that is? Let me tell you, uh, Sabrina, that shirt I have, that you was re referring to, it's very painful because if you look at the shirt, and I remember I saw it and this one I tweeted, but I was like, what the audacity? They had MOK and Malcolm X on the same shirt with Barack Obama, like Barack Obama was about to carry on. I look at the shirt, I'm like, I cannot believe that they pelled this. I cannot believe I believe this. But to your question, I talked to my dad about uh, Barack Obama before and I, I got him to acknowledge that Barack Obama wasn't necessarily the person he got, he thought he was, but there's still that pushback. Like there's still this pull where he can't acknowledge that Barack Obama's a piece of shit. <laughs> where he's like, oh. I mean, while I was talking to him and when I talk to my family about politics, a lot of people know me as this bomb throw on Twitter, but I'm very understanding. I'll try to walk people into these beliefs very slowly. I don't push people. So I'm just explaining things that Obama did. And it's just all, it's just constant excuses. Like, oh, you have Republicans, even though Barack Obama was complicit with Republicans in terms of the worst things that he did. So that's not a good excuse. But while I'm getting at it, I mean, just constant excuses. So, but there's a lot of things that people need to understand when it comes to the black community. And my dad seen the worst of racism growing up in Alabama and Jim Crow. So when it comes to the older black community, seeing the first black man become president after decades of going through a ton of racism, Jim Crow, and I think it's even possible, that's a giant thing. But I tell people, you got to drop that shit. <laughs> like, I, I, I say that because I want people to understand. I, I sympathize, I understand what you're saying, when, when how much Barack Obama being elected means to you. But you got to look at it 
completely unbiasedly how what happened to the black community while when he was in charge. And Barack Obama is responsible for a large transfer of wealth between the black community and the white community. Black wealth tanked because of Barack Obama and his economic policy and what he decided to do. And a lot of people think that's an accident. I want to explain the story because this is actually a story I use kind of um, to get a lot of people to not like Barack Obama. Um, and I bring up my dad because my dad is like one of the few people that I'm, I, I, there was a point where it became painful because I can kind of see that he was getting sad, like talking about it. So I kind of pulled off. He's like one of the few people I couldn't convince that Barack Obama was completely evil. Um, but I usually tell people like this, Eric Holder, the first, um, I, I believe he is, hopefully I'm not wrong when I say this, uh, the first black uh, attorney general. Um, and they, he, when he was selected, he was celebrated just the same way they're doing with Biden administration right now. Oh, Biden got all these, uh, the first black defense secretary who's waging uh, U.S. imperialism and acting just like Donald Trump's defense secretary, but he's black, that's fine. So they did the same thing with Obama. But Eric Holder, anyone who looked into his past, he was a big Goldman Sachs guy. He was a big Wall Street guy. And he made millions and millions of dollars throughout his career at Wall Street. And then there's a story that was released by WikiLeaks where if you look at Barack Obama's cabinet, his cabinet was chosen by Goldman Sachs and Wall Street, and they specifically mentioned Eric Holder. Why did they mention Eric Holder? Because he had so tied to Wall Street. So when the financial crash happened, Eric Holder was saying that we should not prosecute these bankers. And instead, he chose, not only did they not prosecute the bankers, he chose not to criminally prosecute the bankers who was targeting the black community. So what they was doing, a lot of people don't really know the crimes of what happened in 2008 because the media didn't report on it because they get the donations from Wall Street too. Our, our whole system's corrupt. That's why I'm getting that. Um, but there was institutions and there was leaked emails that show they was targeting black elders, mm -hmm. elder black people. Because once again, it's easy to target disenfranchised communities with white collar crime because in order to fight white collar crime you need lawyers you need a legal team and there was actually there was actually stories where you have people who did have those resources who waged legal battles against these people and won but they know the state knows most people don't have those kind of resources so wall street goldman sachs they went after the black community and legally foreclosed on their home you have head funds betting against these homes <laughs> so all these people what they did to the black community, completely illegal. That caused our health, our wealth to tank because capitalism sort of feels, I'll try to keep my answer a little bit shorter here, <laughs> but but our wealth is in our homes. And that, that's how black people keep our wealth. Um, so when we lost our homes the way we did, that led to the tanking of black wealth. Once again, this kind of stuff is why it's important to listen to black leftist content creators because God bless the hearts of the white content creators, they, they're not discussing this stuff. <laughs> they're not because like, they don't have the lived experience. So I explain this story. Barack Obama chose Eric Holder because Eric Holder was designed to be the last line of defense for Wall Street after the financial crisis. And he did his job to perfection because he, he protected Wall Street. The CEOs got millions of dollars of taxpayer money be out of bonuses instead of going to jail. So that's why Barack Obama has a mansion in Martha Vineyard, because there has not been, there haven't been any president in modern American history that was as successful as Barack Obama when it comes to advocating for the establishment. Barack Obama individually killed the anti-war movement. 
Anyway, I I I, I leave my I'll put my answer there. I, I can rant all when it comes to Obama all day. But to answer your answer in a nutshell, um, while I was playing, this is how I get people to get out of uh, the Obama warship. Because if you hear the story I just laid out to you, and you're black, and you still like Barack Obama, who's a sellout, what is wrong with you? Because people are like, oh, he's black, we must support him. And I'm like, no, I hate him because he's black. Like the, because he like if he was a white politician. I would expect him to go against our community, but he's a traitor. <laughs> like, like if people who betray their friends, people who betray their community, they are always worse than just a base oppressor. So that's why I have a lot of disdain for Obama. And that's why I try, that's the story I try to tell black people to stop them worshiping Obama, see how he purposely targeted our community. Not like, like oh, oops, I had the wrong policy. <laughs> no, this is all per- on purpose. And if you hear that story and you still support Obama, I got nothing for you. And I explained exactly why that was before, because once again, there's just decades of black Americans who just wanted to see a win out of the black community. And they saw that with Barack Obama, but that wasn't what it was. It was in fact, he was the best agent of the establishment I've ever seen. Yeah, it's, it's one of the things that we call in the DEI community, diversity on the surface. Yep. It's yep. like, uh, same thing with Kamala Harris. And don't get me wrong, I know a lot of people were excited. They're like, oh, okay, this first woman vice president first you know black vice president who's also a woman and and i get that and there's easy to have a heartfelt moment about that too but you have to look at what are they actually doing like what is kamala harris doing for the african-american community because i know what she did to the african-american community in california yep (laughs) (laughs) so and kamala harris scares me like she is absolutely (laughs) terrifying because I just explained to you why Obama was the best advocate for the establishment for a long time. And the biggest mistake people make is when they assume the establishment or politicians in general are dumb. They're not dumb. They are really smart and they are really good at what they do. I mean, when I, when I say they're really good at what they do, I mean, I am impressed every day at how well they are at spreading propaganda. So they, they saw how successful Barack Obama was so Barack Obama managed to kill the anti-war movement, managed to shift a ton of Black Americans to the right and make them love Obama, despite the fact that Obama transferred a ton of Black wealth to the white community. So they like, we found an amazing formula, which you just laid out. You give power to people of color, minorities, women, and you have them do your bidding of white supremacy and capitalism. That mean that way the people, the communities that are being negatively impacted by these decisions, they're more less likely to speak about it because they just see someone who's representing them. So they saw that how successful that was Obama. Now look at Biden's administration. There's headline after headline after headline when he was picking his cabinet. First black this, first woman this, first Latino this, first gay that. That's not because they are for inclusivity, guys. That's because they saw how well Barack Obama the Black Congressional Caucus and how well that strategy works of having people who look like the, the skin folk that advocate for capitalism and U.S. imperialism in the capitalist class. And they know that that will buy loyalty from communities that they need. I mean, you have upper class uh, community, white communities. If you look at Poland, they support capitalism or socialism like 90%. <laughs> it's the disenfranchised communities, the Black community, the Latino communities. They need to convince. So that's why they get people that look like us to be in the world class. Kamala terrifies me you brought her up because she is a completely for her career she had no connection to the black community um barely any connection to the indian community as well based on what i read 
That means she's just super extremely callous. Whatever best for her career, whatever her advisors tell her to do, she's gonna do. She was chosen for VP as a reason. She was chosen as VP because she was an Israel bootlicker, APAC bootlicker. I mean, the same people that wanted me to have Trump derangement syndrome, the same people who complain about Trump, about him being a racist, unhinged, they she was taking pictures of Benjamin Netanyahu. Anyone who know anything about Israel, Palestine, and Benjamin Netanyahu, you have to be insane if you think Donald Trump is worse than this guy. Benjamin Netanyahu is an open racist. He was literally called guilty on multiple corruption charges. I mean, he is as bad as a leader as he gets. Kamala Harris was good friends with him. Kamala Harris bailed out Steve Mnuchin, who was Trump Treasury Secretary. It's a, it's a giant club, by the way. So she is one to hack on behalf of the seven. She she voted against the 10% military budget decrease. She was supportive of civil asset forfeiture. I mean, there's her record as a, a prosecutor is just horrible. And even her record as a vice president, killing uh being complicit in killing the $15 minimum wage would be which would have been amazing in terms of lifting black Americans out of poverty. She is absolutely terrifying because we see the media because her willingness to do and act on behalf of capitalism in the white ruling class, that makes it so liberals love her. Celebrities love her. And now, I mean, Kamala Harris struggled throughout the primary. I'll talk about this with a lot of my friend Hampton left his friends. But what do you think happens when you have someone in vice president for four years who get nothing but positive media coverage? I'm terrified about her because she could she could win in 2024. She can win in 2028. There are a lot of leftists who are being cocky, like, oh, we got, there's no way Kamala's going to win. Guys, Joe Biden ran for president three times before. And every single time he ran for president, he was embarrassed until the establishment was like, yep, we want you to win now. And just like that, Joe Biden went from a disgraced natural candidate for over 20 years, and now he was an electoral juggernaut. <laughs> like, unbeatable. He beat Donald Trump by 8 million votes. He beat Bernie Sanders, who I think is the best presidential candidate, despite all my criticism of him. I got a lot of criticism of Bernie now. But he's still with the best presidential candidate of my lifetime. And so, and Joe and Joe Biden beat him. What? That doesn't make, no matter how much they cheat, that doesn't make sense. So my point is, if the establishment want Kamala Harris to win, she's gonna win. And this is why I'm scared. This is why I'm scared because she can use identity politics to convince a lot of people in the community who don't really follow politics a lot to support her. Um, and that's why she has that support. <laughs> that's and I think that's why it's important for black leftists to be the one call out because she has this immunity where you have a lot of white people call out, oh, you're just racist, oh, you're just sexist. But once again, my rise was a shock of liberal consciousness because they can't use that card on me. Oh, you're oh, you're a sexist. I'm voting for Angela Walker. <laughs> She's a black woman too. Oh, you're a sexist for not voting for Hillary Clinton. I'm voting for Joe Stein. So what they can't use that on black left is in the sessions line they using me they can't use it either because i vote i'm vote for women's vice president of one vp so when you when they can't use that attack line against you it makes your opposition much more powerful that's why i think it's important to uh to elevate the voices of black leftists and constantly challenge the notion of barack obama kamala harris i'll I, I bash barack obama all the time because he's gonna be a, a thorn on the side of the left for decades Decades ago, I mean, he was the reason why Medicare for All was killed. He killed the NBA player strike. He spoke against defund the police, and he got dragged for that. I don't think he'd expect that to happen, but he got dragged, so he backed off of that. So I think if he got the response he wanted to, I think he would kept speaking out against defund the police. He said something, and then he got so much backlash. All right, pull off. My point is, 
His goal is to shut down these movement. He's trying to shut down defund police, and he's gonna that's his role. He's gonna keep trying to do that. So we gotta tear him down. So he becomes less effective at doing that. We got we gotta tear down Kamala Harris down. So my worst fears that I just laid out her being electoral juggernaut 2024 and 2028 doesn't come to pass. Mm. Do you think that Trump would run again? Yeah, I think I one hundred percent. Well, let me let me now that I think about it. Uh, I, I won't say 100%. I say 70%. Uh, there is still a chance. I lean more towards the fact that he will run if they allow him to. But there is a chance, because you understand Trump is a con man. There's always that chance that he's doing it just to grow his media empire. Right. And so there was, there were strong rumors, and this came from um, a lot of people who spoke to uh, the media. I mean, it's kind of transparent when you watch the 2016 election. I mean, when I watched the 2016 election, I'm thinking like, dude, there's no way this dude want to win. <laughs> like, there's no way. And once he won, he had to play the role. I mean, I guess it was great because his family made a ton of money uh, while they was in the White House, which is illegal, by the way. <laughs> but they did. They enriched themselves when Trump won the presidency. So they cashed in, but they didn't. I, I still believe they didn't want to win. There was reports that Trump ran to blow up his uh, uh, political profile so he can start start Trump news. And now you got him releasing his own website. You have uh, Newsmax and his allies uh, teaming up with Trump and his team. So there is this possibility that Trump is just doing this so he have publicity when he starts his network. And then when 2023 uh, comes, he's like, you know, guys, I actually thought about it. I want to pass the torch on to the next generation. So I, I endorse Josh Hawley for president. So once again, I don't th- I don't know if that's gonna happen, but I don't think it's a hundred percent shot that Trump run. I think those two scenarios will likely happen. Either Trump runs in twenty twenty four, or he pretends he's gonna run so he gets support for his media over the next three years, and then he endorses someone who he see as the heir of the Trump uh, legacy, whether it be Josh Hawley, Tucker Carlson, or someone like that. So I would about to say yeah, I think he's gonna run, but now I think about it, like mm, I give seventy thirty percent chance. That why while laid out is why I kind of think it's gonna happen. All right, Nick, I have one more question for you. If someone were to ask you, how would you describe your political views? What would you say? I, I love this question because I, I love talking about labels, but I always tell people don't get obsessed with labels. I use labels because this English language <laughs> and language is how we communicate. So this is how we discuss political issues and where we stand. But People who get super obsessed labels are kind of weird to me. Because <laughs> at the end of the day, I'm fighting for my community. That's what's important for me. But I don't want to dodge your question. So when it comes to label, I, I consider myself a libertarian socialist um, and anarchist. Um, I've been calling myself that for like last few months because I am I got so many anarchists and communist friends. I'm like, dude, I'll probably be full-blown commie by the end of the year. <laughs> um, but Chomsky laid it out really well for me when I heard listened to one of his lectures. I'm like, that's it. Holy f- I don't remember exactly when I maybe two, three years ago. I listened to one of his lectures when he was playing the concept of uh libertarian socialism and anarchism, where it's pretty much the government must justify itself. So always laughing, I call right wing libertarians frauds because they always do this thing where they say, Oh, don't tread on me. We believe in small government. No, you guys are actually frauds. I actually have a lot of sympathy toward that argument, but this is where I come from a libertarian socialist point of view, because I think government should justify itself. And that's why defund the police is inherently a libertarian socialist idea. If you're a right-wing leaning libertarian and you're not supportive of defund the police, you are a fraud because there have been studies and studies that show that giant police budgets do not reduce crime. So when I see that, I'm like, okay, so this money doesn't justify itself. 
how about we spend this money in the mental health services and healthcare and education, housing and stuff that statistically, and if you look at other countries, these things reduce crime. So that's why I mean when it comes to justify itself. So where does the socialism part come in? Because I'm supportive of Medicare for all as well. I'm supportive of a UBI. And that's still c- consistent with the, the with the definition of government that justifies itself. Medicare for all justifies itself because not only do you lead to better health outcomes, you say 68,000 lives per year, it boosts the economy, it boosts wages, it boosts jobs. So when you have that government action, that is justified to me. When I see UBI, once again, study show UBI, if you get people put money, and this is just basic progressive economics, any leftist understands this. If you get families money, they spend that money in businesses, those businesses have more money where they can pay the workers and all this money leads to generated tax revenue. So it's good for your society. So this is why I write wingling libertarians don't make any sense to me because what you're advocating for is essentially feudalism. That's what it is because neoliberal capitalism, I have a billion complaints about neoliberal capitalism, but neoliberal capitalism was an evolution of feudalism. <laughs> so the human, and this is what Chomsky and a lot of uh, intellectuals describe. This is what actually what R- Richard Wolf was talking about as well. Humanity and society, we always, advanced and evolved. I mean, we had a lot of barbaric beliefs, but we advanced and we evolved. When we come to neoliberal capitalism, that was us evolving from feudalism because feudalism was a system where you have people who have resources, they ruled. <laughs> they had private militias. They had amazing amount of influence in society. That's essentially what feudalism is. So if you look at right-wing libertarianism and their economics, it will lead back to feudalism. And they openly, like, I don't know if they will actually say that, but if you push them on the belief, that way always leads to. So when I say I'm a left-leaning libertarian, I have that don't trade on me mentality. Legalize all drugs. Why do you guys care about what we do with our body? Legal All of it. I don't care. Like if you take a drug and you OD on that, I'm sorry, that's your choice. Government shouldn't be able to tell you to do that, so tell you not to do that. So when it comes to actually don't trade on me ideology, out of that. No U.S. imperialism, I don't want none of that. Once again, government that only justifies so. A government that only care for its people, that only care about healthcare, that only care about housing, that only care about UBI, UBI, like actual things that benefit society. And that's what the basis of society was. A group of people who pulled their resources together to increase the quality of life. Right-wing libertarianism is a fraud. And when you look at, once I get Chomsky a ton of credit for pointing this out to me, because I'm like, as soon as I heard, I was like, bingo, just government that justifies itself. And that's pretty much why I support defund the police. Uh, Medicare for all, um, and it's it's funny to me because there's some people I, like whenever I say, I mean, not in our community, I think leftists get it, but people always be like, how can you be a left libertarian? I'm like, dude, it's opposite. How can you be a right libertarian? Right libertarians are the one who's contradicting themselves because these are the same people who like don't tread on me. I'm a libertarian, but they support giant police budgets. Someone please explain to me that. So that's the giant fundamental difference. I don't know exactly what we got cut off there, but that's kind of why I am when it comes to political uh, spectrum. And and the reason why I say I don't put too much stock on labels because we all, all uh, evolve. I was I used to call myself a, a liberal. Uh, I used to be like, yeah, I'm a liberal back in when I used to like Barack Obama. And I remember even when I liked Bernie Sanders in 2016, I didn't call myself a socialist. I remember when I used to advocate for Bernie in 2016, I used to tell people like, yeah, he calls himself a socialist, but what he really wanted to do is, is improve capitalism. I went from that to I'm like, yeah, Bernie was con- the compromise. Uh, he had a lot of good policies, <laughs> but uh, but there's there's a difference, and we all evolve. And once again, I'm, I'm surrounded by a lot of people that to my left, so you never know. You I'm 
could go full uh full blown calling by in here you never know awesome everyone i'll be sure to put all of nick's links in the description below nick's thanks so much for coming today yeah thank you for having me on i know i talked to you that much <laughs> but it was fun it was fun um look forward to you talk to you again one day thanks for listening you can watch the video of this podcast at Sabby Sab's channel on YouTube.